Hey everybody, today I have retirement news for the week ending Friday, September 10th, 2021. And let's just get started with the bad news first. Did you see the PPI numbers? Well, uh, producer prices continued their upward push in August, leading to the biggest annual gain in almost 11 years, which tells us that inflation is likely to continue and possibly worsen as the pandemic continues to wreak havoc on supply chains. So what's the bottom line number? We are up 8.3% year over year. Okay, so first off, let's have a quick review of just exactly what the PPI measures before I give you my armchair analysis of what this means to you and, well, your retirement. Uh, the PPI is the producer price index. And unlike the CPI, which tracks what we pay for stuff, the PPI measures uh, changes to the cost of production or what manufacturers and wholesalers pay for assorted items like commodities and industrial goods and the like. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, tracks all this, and the index includes almost 10,000 individual products and product groups. Okay, so if manufacturers and businesses are seeing an 8.3% year-over-year increase in the cost of their inputs, it does not take a lot of imagination to predict that your costs are going to, or already have, gone up. Now, I've been talking about inflation pretty regularly, and well, actually, everybody's been talking about it. But one of the, the hidden aspects of inflation that not everyone is talking about is shrinkflation. Okay, now shrinkflation is when businesses are experiencing these higher supply costs and they need to pass along those costs to you, the consumer, but they don't want to raise their prices. So what do they do? They simply decrease the amount of whatever that product is while keeping the price about the same as it was before. For example, Bounty Paper Towels now, uh, a triple pack has shrunk from 165 sheets to 147. Costco Toilet Paper, in their 30-roll packs, each roll had 425 sheets last year, but only 380 now. Dial body wash was reduced from 21 ounces to 16 ounces. And now that's a basically a 25% reduction. Uh, Ziploc freezer bags went from 54 bags per box last year down to 50 bags this year. Uh, and Quaker Instant Oatmeal uh, came in 10 packs last year, but now they're down to eight this year for some of their varieties. Uh, now, those are just a couple examples I found on a consumer site called Mouseprint, which is actually kind of an awesome little place. Uh, I'll give you the link in the show notes. So anyway, as you're trying to scrimp and save for your retirement, uh, and when you reach retirement, the two biggest destroyers of your wealth are going to be inflation and taxes. So keep your eyes open. Now, next up, harbingers of how fucked up things are going to be in the future. So as I've noted in previous episodes, I like the idea of having a geographic plan B, or basically some alternative, maybe state or countries where you might want to live in case your financial circumstances change and you need to move to a place that's got lower costs of living. Um, or if you're just unable to save enough for retirement and you want to leave the workforce and... Um, you need a lower cost place to live. Uh, in a previous episode, I interviewed uh, Tim Leffel about that and how he living in Guanajuato, Mexico, his monthly expenses now in total are about the same as he was paying for his mortgage, just his mortgage here in the States. Um, now, there are other reasons besides um, financial that you may want to change your location or uh, move abroad when you retire. 
say like me, um, if you live in Portland, so here things have gotten so ugly in this town just in the last five years um, that it's hard to imagine how bad they're going to get in 10 years. And as I've mentioned before, I, I now live in a suburb pretty far south of town, so we don't have riots. We don't have street ball street brawls between left-wing and right-wing lunatics, and we don't have a homeless problem yet. But um, what else might cause you to want the, to get the hell out of whatever town you're in? So what if, say, you believe that there are only two or three genders? What if you go to church? What if you're one of the 40% of Americans who don't want to defund the police? What if you believe that taxpayers should be given preferential treatment above chronically unemployed drug addicts? Or what if you just want to be able to go to your local downtown and feel safe? I mean... There's a million reasons why you might not feel comfortable where you're living now, um, you know, five years from now as, as politics kind of change your environment. So depending on where you do live, you might have to relocate. So where are you going with all this, Matt? Well, I, I, I know I'm getting a bit long-winded here, but I do have a point. Um, have you ever read the book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg uh, Lukianoff? If not, you should. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, and they do an awesome job describing in really good detail the wussification of Gen Z and how campus life is accelerating their fragility and their need for protection from the violence of anything that uh, offends their sensibilities, including conflicting opinions, alternative points of view, or even just basic disagreements and philosophical differences. Anyway, it's a great book, and I highly recommend it. But it came out in 2018, and though it's kind of hard to imagine, things have gotten even worse on college campuses. And the latest indicator is the resignation of a professor from Portland State University, a school that I shamefully attended for a few years uh, back in the late 90s. Um, so you might not have heard of him. The guy's name is Peter Bogosian. Okay, he was a philosophy professor at Portland State, and he and a couple of collaborators wrote these hoax uh, papers that went on to be published in uh, multiple real academic, like peer-reviewed academic journals. Now, a couple of the titles included Human Reaction to Rape Culture and Queer Performativity at Urban Dog Parks in Portland, Oregon. Okay, that was one of the titles of these papers they submitted. Another title was The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. And finally, Who Are They to Judge? Overcoming Anthropometry and a Framework for Fat Bodybuilding. Okay, now if you haven't heard about this project, it's hilarious. And they got a lot of support for showing the total lack of standards in place uh, in some of these uh, academic journals. But there was also some blowback from humorless turds in academia. And in December 2018, Portland State University ruled that Bogosian had, quote, violated ethical guidelines on human subjects research. And he was banned from doing research until he had, quote, completed training and could demonstrate he understood how to protect the rights of human subjects. Okay. Anyway, the whole thing is a fascinating story, but the long and the short of it is that Peter Bogosian is basically, for lack of a better term, he's an academic whistleblower kind of doing this little project. But the punishment continued, and recently it was announced that he was resigning. So I'm going to read to you his resignation letter in full, 
because there are some great nuggets in there, and I think this is really uh, important for everyone to hear. It begins, Dear Provost Susan Jeffords, I'm writing you today to resign as Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Portland State University. Over the last decade, it has been my privilege to teach at the university. My specialties are critical thinking, ethics, and the Socratic method, and I teach classes like science and pseudoscience and the philosophy of education. But in addition to exploring classic philosophers and traditional texts, I've invited a wide range of guest lecturers to address my classes, from flat earthers to Christian apologists to global climate skeptics to Occupy Wall Street advocates. I'm proud of my work. I invited those speakers not because I agreed with their worldviews, but primarily because I didn't. From those messy and difficult conversations, I've seen the best of what our students can achieve. Questioning beliefs while respecting believers, staying even-tempered in challenging circumstances, and even changing their minds. I never once believed, nor do I now, that the purpose of instruction was to lead my students to a particular conclusion. Rather, I sought to create the conditions for rigorous thought to help them gain the tools and hunt and furrow for their own conclusions. This is why I became a teacher and why I love teaching. But brick by brick, the university has made this kind of intellectual exploration impossible. It has transformed a bastion of free inquiry into a social justice factory whose only inputs were race, gender, and victimhood, and whose only outputs were grievance and division. Students at Portland State are not being taught to think. Rather, they are being trained to mimic the moral certainty of ideologues. Faculty and administrators have abdicated the university's truth-seeking mission and instead drive intolerance of divergent beliefs and opinions. This has created a culture of offense where students are now afraid to speak openly and honestly. I noticed the signs of the illiberalism that has now fully swallowed the academy quite early during my time at Portland State. I witnessed students refusing to engage with different points of view. Questions from faculty at diversity trainings that challenged approved narratives were instantly dismissed. Those who asked for evidence to justify new institutional policies were accused of microaggressions, and professors were accused of bigotry for assigning canonical texts written by philosophers who happened to have been European and male. At first, I didn't realize how systemic this was and believed I could question this new culture, so I began asking questions. What is the evidence that trigger warnings and safe spaces contribute to, tr to student learning? Why should racial consciousness be the lens through which we view our role as educators? How did we decide that cultural appropriation is immoral? Unlike my colleagues, I asked these questions out loud and in public. I decided to study the new values that were engulfing Portland State and so many other educational institutions, values that sound wonderful, like diversity, equity, and inclusion, but might actually be just the opposite. The more I read the primary source material produced by critical theorists, the more I suspected that their conclusions reflected the postulates of an ideology, not insights based on evidence. I began networking with student groups who had similar concerns and brought in speakers to explore these subjects from a critical perspective. And it became increasingly clear to me that the incidents of illiberalism I had witnessed over the years were not just isolated events, but part of an institution-wide problem. The more I spoke out about these issues, the more retaliation I faced. 
early in the 2016-17 academic year, a former student complained about me and the university initiated a Title IX investigation. Title IX investigations are part of federal law designed to protect, quote, people from discrimination based on sex in education programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance. My accuser, a white male, made a slew of baseless accusations against me, which university confidentiality rules unfortunately prohibit me from discussing further. What I can share is that students of mine who were interviewed during the process told me the Title IX investigator asked them if they knew anything about me beating my wife and children. This horrifying accusation soon became a widespread rumor. With Title IX investigations, there is no due process, so I didn't have access to the particular accusations, the ability to confront my accuser, and I had no opportunity to defend myself. Finally, the results of the investigation were revealed in December 2017. Here are the last two sentences of the report. Quote, global diversity and inclusion finds there is insufficient evidence that Bogosian violated PSU's prohibited discrimination and harassment policy. GDI recommends Bogosian receive coaching. Not only was there no apology for the false accusations, but the investigator also told me that in the future I was not allowed to render my opinion about, quote, protected classes or teach in such a way that my opinion about protected classes could be known. A bizarre conclusion to absurd charges. Universities can enforce ideological conformity just through the threat of these investigations. I eventually became convinced that corrupted bodies of scholarships were responsible for justifying radical departures from the traditional role of liberal arts schools and basic civility on campus. There was an urgent need to demonstrate that morally fashionable papers, no matter how absurd, could be published. I believed then that if I exposed the theoretical flaws of this body of literature, I could help the university community avoid building edifices on such shaky ground. So, in 2017, I co-published an intentionally garbled, peer-reviewed paper that took aim at the new orthodoxy. Its title, The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. This example of pseudo-scholarship, which was published in the Cogent Social Sciences, argued that penises were products of the human mind and responsible for climate change. Immediately thereafter, I revealed the article as a hoax designed to shed light on the flaws of the peer review and academic publishing systems. Shortly thereafter, swastikas in the bathroom with my name under them began appearing in two bathrooms near the philosophy department. They also occasionally showed up on my office door, in one instance accompanied by bags of feces. Our university remained silent. When it acted, it was against me, not the perpetrators. I continued to believe, perhaps naively, that if I exposed the flawed thinking on which Portland State's new values were based, I could shake the university from its madness. In 2018, I co-published a series of absurd or morally repugnant peer-reviewed articles in journals that focused on issues of race and gender. In one of them, we argued that there was an epidemic of dog rape at dog parks and proposed that we leash men the way we leash dogs. Our purpose was to show that certain kinds of, quote, scholarship are based not on finding truth, but on advocating social grievances. This worldview is not scientific, and it is not rigorous. Administrators and faculty were so angered by the papers 
that they published an anonymous piece in the student paper, and Portland State filed formal charges against me. Their accusation? Research misconduct, based on the absurd premise that the journal editors who accepted our intentionally deranged articles were, quote, human subjects. I was found guilty of not receiving approval to experiment on human subjects. Meanwhile, the ideological intolerance continued to grow at Portland State. In March 2018, a tenured professor disrupted a public discussion I was holding with author Christina Hoff Summers and evolutionary biologists Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying. In June 2018, someone triggered the fire alarm during my conversation with popular cultural critic Carl Benjamin. In 2018, an activist pulled out the speaker wires to interrupt a panel with former Google engineer James Damore. The university did nothing to stop or address this behavior. No one was punished or disciplined. For me, the years that followed were marked by a continued harassment. I'd find flyers around campus of me with a Pinocchio nose. I was spit on and threatened by passersby while walking to class. I was informed by students that my colleagues were telling them to avoid my classes. And of course, I was subjected to more investigation. I wish I could say that what I'm describing hasn't taken a personal toll, but it has taken exactly the toll it was intended to. An increasingly intolerable working life without the protection of tenure. This isn't about me. This is about the kind of institutions we want and the values we choose. Every idea that has advanced human freedom has always, and without fail, been initially condemned. As individuals, we often seem incapable of remembering this lesson, but that is exactly what our institutions are for to remind us that the freedom to question is our fundamental right. Educational institutions should remind us that that right is also our duty. Portland State University has failed in fulfilling this duty. In doing so, it has failed not only its students, but the public that supports it. While I am grateful for the opportunity to have taught at Portland State for over a decade, it has become clear to me that this institution is no place for people who intend to think freely and explore ideas. This is not the outcome I wanted, but I feel morally obligated to make this choice. For 10 years, I have taught my students the importance of living by your principles. One of mine is to defend our system of liberal education from those who seek to destroy it. Who would I be if I didn't? So how mad does that make you? I mean, how would you feel if you found out your son was painting swastikas in PSU bathrooms with Bogosian's name next to them, simply because he wanted to expose his students to alternative points of view and because he exposed these peer-reviewed journals as the farce that they are? Anyway, I shared that with you because when I hear about what's happening on college campuses these days and how the acceleration of the woke groupthink is going parabolic, it makes me wonder what society is going to look like after another decade. I mean, we've already seen journalism die. You have to work really hard in order to find information out there that doesn't contain editorial. But journalism is just the first domino to fall. What What's going to be next? You know, what what's life going to look like when this generation of very angry, very woke young people are running the show? And you old farts who only believe there are two genders, not 21, are out among the gen pop. You know, again, finances are a great reason to have your geographic plan B, but there are other reasons you might want to find yourself in Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Thailand, or even El Salvador when you're retired. So anyway, speaking of El Salvador, Tuesday, the 7th, September 7th, was Bitcoin Day. 
the day when El Salvador took on Bitcoin as legal currency. Based on what I saw from people on the ground that day, there were lots of merchants who were accepting payment from digital wallets um, from the simple scan of a QR code. Now, predictably, most of the images were from bigger companies like McDonald's and Starbucks, but it was definitely a historic day. And even with the sell-off and 15% price drop that happened on Tuesday, Bitcoin bulls, including El Salvador President Bukele, were unshaken. In fact, Bukele bought the dip and picked up another 150 Bitcoins. So it's going to be fascinating to watch this moving forward. But El Salvador is just the first country. Ukraine announced that it was going to be the next country to make Bitcoin tender. Uh, they just announced that this week. And things are moving, my friend. These are very, very interesting times. So if you want to get in on Bitcoin before it crosses hundred grand, and if you want to support this show, I'd really appreciate it more than I can say if you went to rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto, it'll send you to BlockFi, where you'll get up to a $250 crypto bonus, and I'll get a little kickback because I'm a BlockFi affiliate. And speaking of BlockFi, I just got my first month's Bitcoin rewards from my BlockFi credit card, and it was a hefty 0.009448 Bitcoin, which is worth about a cool $42 at today's prices. Not bad. And I got to tell you, I love my Alaska Air Miles and I love my Marriott points, but getting Bitcoin back is way better. So if you're willing to, please support the show. And get your free Bitcoin by going to rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto. Uh, and I'll put a link to the show notes. Okay, just a few final notes for you. Uh, the median house price in the U.S. is now up to $375,000. And that's 16% higher year over year. And remember, if you bought a house with 20% down, that means your appreciation on cash is 80%. So... Again, find a better investment than that. I challenge you. And finally, a quick question for you. Is your income down this year because of COVID? Well, if it is, you might be able to qualify for a little-known IRS perk called the, quote, saver's credit. Now, what exactly is the saver's credit? Well, it lets you earn up to $1,000 uh, or up to $2,000 if you're a married couple for making a contribution into a qualified retirement plan. Now, this is a tax credit not just a tax deduction. So anyway, there's a simple rundown on how it works on the Motley Fool website, and I'll put a link into the show notes. It's not a big deal, but if you had a slow year this year because of the pandemic, you might qualify and save a grand on your taxes. Okay, that's it for now. Have an excellent week, and I'll be back at you soon. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.